Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all. For those who um, don't know me, I am married to Tyrone. And you've probably seen our little boy Roman running around at the front of this stage like he's in the Olympics. And me really trying to catch him, but failing miserably. He just gets faster and faster every single day. Honestly, I spend most of my days just running around after him. But he is such a joy to our family. And um, yeah, it's, it's an honour actually to be able to share alongside Abs from the book of Ephesians and how the book of Ephesians has impacted my life. And I'm glad that I'm sharing on this book because actually it's a book that I've studied over the last year with a few of my friends And what I love about the book of Ephesians is it it doesn't just empower us in who we are in Christ, but it actually shows us who he is in our lives, his power, his glory working through us. And so I'm just going to dive straight in to the text. Bear with me. It has been a while since I have been up here. So Grace, please. (laughs) Um, So we will start off in Ephesians 3, and we're going to read from verse 1 up until verse 6. And this has really spoke to me, especially in the last, over the last few months, um, because um, I've had lots of things happen that have really been out of my control. And so it starts off by saying this, Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And so Gentiles is anyone, so it's probably the majority of us in here today that are not Jewish. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations. And it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, which is probably the majority of us in here today, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, a little bit of context here. Paul is an apostle, which means he's been sent by Christ to preach Christ to the Gentiles. And so, so many people in this time are looking to Paul for wisdom, for guidance. But he gets arrested. He gets arrested by the Romans. Now, the Romans as we know, it's, uh, Ephesus was part of the Roman Empire. So the Romans had captured Ephesus in this time. And so we really have to go back to the first line of Ephesians because it's really important that we pause there. Because this first line, this first sentence would have been such a great encouragement to the people at that time that were following Paul. 
He says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. I bet you're thinking, what? That's a bit strange. Well, what does Paul mean? Because we know that Paul was imprisoned by the Romans. And so he he teaches us, he tells us. So if you'd like to send to Ephesians 1 verse 21, Paul gives a little bit more knowledge and understanding around this. He says, Christ, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So what he's saying here, and it's, it's huge, it must have been so encouraging because he's saying, even though the Romans have arrested me, even though this situation looks out of control, I know who's in charge of my life. I know who I belong to. I know where my comfort is. I know where my peace is. I know that Christ is not just above this situation, but he is above all things. I know who's in charge of my life. And... So you're probably thinking, well, does that mean that God caused Paul to be in prison? No, we know that it's sinful men that arrested Paul. And we know that we live in a broken and a fallen world where hardships happen, where trials happen. Now, Paul still had to go through that situation. And God allowed him to go through that situation. But we also know that God used it for his glory. If we turn to Romans 8, verse 28, it says this, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So what is this glory then? What is this good? Well, Paul teaches us, doesn't he, in Ephesians 3, he's saying that this mystery that's being revealed is the goodness of God. It's his mercy, it's his grace, it's his patience, it's his faithfulness, it's his love towards us. And out of that, out of his grace and love, we get the promise, the promise of salvation. And so that would have been massive to the people to hear because Paul's saying, look, don't look, don't be discouraged about what's going on right now. Hold on to the promise of salvation. Hold on to the goodness of God. Hold on to who he is and know that he is in charge. And so how does this impact my life? Well, first of all, I don't think I would have been as patient as Paul. I definitely think I would have been trying to plan a prison escape of some sort. I I really would. I mean, the reality is for all of us in here today is that our reality is that we're not going to be imprisoned right now for our faith. But we all go through situations and circumstances and we all have situations that maybe we've tried to control. We've all gone through circumstances that can put pressure on us 
and that can make us feel so overwhelmed that they actually start to control us. They start to take charge of our thoughts. They start to take charge of our feelings. And it can be anything. It can be things like relationships, health, finances. I mean, we all right now find ourselves in an out-of-control situation. Don't know if you all know, but we're all wearing masks. We're in a COVID pandemic, something that is out of our control. But actually, it's in times like this, isn't it, that we have to remember who is in charge of our lives, who our lives belong to. Our lives are in God's hands. They're in God, our lives are in God's hands. Now, you might be sat in here and be thinking, well, apart from COVID, everything's actually going really well for me right now. And I understand that because I've been there too, but let's face it, we still all have a tendency, don't we, to wander off. We still all have a tendency sometimes to try and want to take control of our lives. And we see a perfect example of this with the Israelites. The Israelites, they were enslaved by the Egyptians for years And then they were set free and they wandered around the wilderness for years and years and years. And then they were finally given the promised land and all the blessings that came with it. And then they just went off. They just started adopting the sinful ways of the nations before them. They just started being disobedient and just doing their own thing. Because why? They forgot who gave it them. It was God they forgot to put him first. And so we all do this, don't we? We all are guilty sometimes of trying to take control, but we always have to remember who our life belongs to. And you know what? I don't really want to be in control. I can really not imagine me being in charge of this world. I would make such a mess of it. Like seriously, just imagine that. It would not be good. But why do we try and take control when we have a God who is omnipotent, who knows everything, who is in everything, who has created everything? Why would we want to? You know, I have been asking myself this a lot lately because in my life I've gone through a few situations. You know, when you just have a hard time and it's just situation after situation and everything is out of control. And the control person in me just started freaking out and I wanted to fix it. Have we got any fixers in here? Anybody who likes to fix things? And so what I did, I started writing a list of things, all possible scenarios and outcomes, everything that could possibly go wrong. And then I did something that actually was really embarrassing. I started to Google I became a panic Googler. I started Googling all sorts of scenarios and I just started creating things that didn't even exist. And it got me so worked up and it made me feel so anxious. And actually it was only when I put the situation in God's hands, when I started to pray, when I started to give it to him, was when I realized that I wasn't alone. And in that moment, when I was praying, all I, could, all, all I could hear was, I'm with you. You are not alone. And I just started to be filled with his peace. And he started strengthening me and he started reminding, reminding me of promises that he'd already spoken over me. 
He started reminding me of, of his word. Philippians 4.16, it says, He supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And he reminded me of that. That I'm going to supply all of your needs in this moment. And all I could think, you know, I ended up having actually having to go for emergency surgery. And whilst I was waiting in the hospital, all I could think in my mind was, he knows. God knows. He knows because he's above all things. He knows everything. He knows the outcome. And that is where I put my faith in that moment. And he did, he did supply all of my needs. He gave me friends that started to come around us as a family and support us practically. And he filled me with his peace. But he didn't take me out of the situation. And sometimes we think because God is in charge, he has to take us out of the situation. And we all know that eventually he does because it says in his word that he's redeeming all of us and that in heaven, every situation, every circumstance will be gone. But he doesn't always, does he? In our timing. But I knew that even though he wasn't going to take me out of this situation, even though I had to have this surgery, I knew that I could get through it because I had the prize. I have the prize. The prize is Christ. And let's face it, there's always going to be another situation, isn't there? There's always going to be something, one thing after another. So we can't put all our faith in the changing of a situation. We have to put our faith in God who is immeasurable. He is not temporal like our situations. He doesn't come and go. He is the one that remains constant. He is God. And Paul, he speaks about it in, a, in Ephesians 3, verse 8. He talks about the riches and the glory of God. And these riches that he's talking about are things that never fade. And he's saying to the Gentiles, he's saying to us, actually, even though they've locked me up right now, let's not focus on that. Let's focus on the riches and the glory that we find in Christ because we are partakers. We are children of God, children of the promise. And then Paul does this incredible thing. He's been through all of this. He's done everything's happened to him. Everything that could have possibly, of what in our eyes could have gone wrong, went wrong. But he kneels, it says, before the Father. In Ephesians 3 verse 14, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. And then verse 20, it says, And he, he who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And so what Paul is saying, even if I preach the gospel, even if I suffer like this, if I don't have God, if he isn't in charge, then it's all for nothing. Because the power It's the power of God that is working through us. That is what he saves. Paul's saying, don't look to me, I'm just a man. I'm just a vessel of God. But the power of God is working through me. 
And so this encouraged me so much in this time. And I hope it can encourage you as in the way it encourages me to know that whatever you are facing in your life, that God is in charge. And that if he's in charge, that means you can get through anything. And on that note, I'm going to invite the lovely Abs, who is going to finish off this message, in for a treat, to teach us how Ephesians has impacted her life. Come on, Tash. Can we thank Tash? Natasha Reed, Tyrone Reed, they're an amazing blessing to our family personally, but an amazing blessing to our church. They are the real deal, and um, they have huge capacities, but they have even bigger hearts. And uh, we love you guys. Tash, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your journey. And um, God is in control. Hey, it's good to see you. It is probably even longer that I have been up here, because Dave said last week that I've not spoken on this platform for 17 years. And I, I, I don't know if it's far off that. So um, we'll see how this goes. But hey, if it is your first time here, I want to say a huge welcome. I am Abs. My husband is Dave. And we have the privilege of leading this campus. And uh, Dave is not here, not because he doesn't agree with female preachers. That's a whole other can of worms. We won't go there today. But uh, he is over on Bradford speaking at Life Church in Bradford. And he will be here for the second service. But he sends his love and um, he must really trust us because he isn't here to correct any theological like discrepancies. We could go wild today, but hopefully you're going to leave with a bit more Jesus and uh, maybe a little less of us. But um, I love what Tash was saying, and really I'm going to use that to springboard because the question posed to us is how does the book of Ephesians affect my life today? And the text that um, I want to open up with you over the few minutes that I have is um, Ephesians 4 from verse 29. I'm going to kick that because I always trip over the waters. Um, From verse 29 right through to chapter 5 verse 3 and it says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, after that, I have work to do. Anyone else has work to do? Yeah, okay, please join me in the pit of, oh my word, my to-do list just got a lot longer. And on that note, let me just pray. God, we look to you. We need help because we are a far cry from where we would love to be. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak to each one of us? May the words that I share today, may they be overpowered by your mercy and your goodness and your grace and your ability and your favor. God, I pray that you would erase what doesn't need to be said and you would press by your Holy Spirit on each one of our hearts what you are trying to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I read that, Um, passage this week, I was reminded all over again of I have work to do. There is room for improvement. Anyone else like myself, uh, on every school report in one or two or several subjects, 
There's room for improvement. Yeah, that's me. And we're house hunting at the moment. And um, I have I have cottoned on to a few phrases used by estate agents. One of them is room for improvement or an opportunity for you to add your own improvement, which basically means currently this is a shed. Now, it has potential to be a six-bed mansion with its own meadow, paddock and woodland area. But right now you're buying a shed. I'll just tell you now, if you see that in any kind of uh, estate agent summary, it's a shed, guys. We love sheds, but go into it with eyes open. But I feel like my life sometimes is a shed of mess, that yes, there is massive room for improvement, and I can read that list and go, I don't even know where to start. Do I start with bitterness, or do I start with anger, or do I start with unwholesome talk? Because I could pick any one of those, you're like, oh my word, bring Dave back. But I could pick any one of those, and it would be enough work for me to do for the rest of the year, and I still wouldn't be where I need to be to be a good Christian girl. Why? Because I am a shed. I am a mess. I am complicated. I have stuff in my past. I have stuff in my present. I have thoughts that I'm still working out. What do I do with? I have things that have happened. And a lot of the areas where I look at these things, if I'm honest, I can look at bitterness and go, but that is justified because of what happened to me. Or I can look at um, unforgiveness and go, yeah, but that's okay because they never even bothered to apologize. And we can justify some of the fruit in our life, even though it's not God's best for us. We can justify some of the fruit for our lives because it was planted in seed form by somebody else or something else or another situation that we did not ask for. And so it's not my fault that it is in our life. And you know, that may well be true that there are things that are in our past and there are things that have happened to us or we have been subject to or we have been around or prayers that have not yet been answered and we're holding a fruit that we didn't want but it was planted in seed form and we can learn to justify some of the things that actually it's not God's best for our lives. Well, okay, it's not God's best for our lives but what do I do? I remember a couple of years ago, and being out for dinner with some really, really, really close friends. And um, we were talking about all kinds of things. And I was like, what have I got to lose? Because I'm in a bit of a pickle, to put it mildly. And I just went, my issue is in that area, I am bitter. And I don't know how I got there, but it's in me and I can't get it out of me. And um, they were really unfazed. And I was like, this is a big deal, guys. I've just told you I am bitter. And I was desperate to get rid of this thing, but it was just all consuming. And every time I approached a situation or this thing came up in conversation, while I would respond outwardly like I knew I should, I knew it had taken root in me. And I'm going, this, is, this has caused me to be bitter in an area that I hate. And uh, they said, but the first thing you do is you acknowledge it. I was like, that's all you've got. That's your like pastoral wisdom. Acknowledge it. Are you having a laugh? I need more than that. But actually, it was so true, because when I acknowledged it, I could do what the passage later talks about, and I brought it into the light. 
Because if the question is, if I'm reading all of this and, and, and is it like the shed of my life, the stuff that maybe you don't see, but it's dusty and it's messy and it's complicated. And maybe that is our own internal makeup of how we process or don't process as our coping mechanisms. Maybe it's our family dynamic. Maybe it's stuff that we are going through. Whatever it is, I think we've all got an area or several areas or part of our life that would fit into the category of it's a bit messy. It's a bit messy over there. It's a bit complicated over there. And what we do is we we take this out of context and go, this bit is messy over here, but we're okay because we're in Christ. And if I'm honest, when I read the book of Ephesians, I'm hugely comforted because as a book, it's like we've heard from Tyrone and Stu and Dave, as a book, it's split into two halves, which says, We used to live in this mess, but because of Jesus, we can now live here. But if we take this verse out of context, we view our mess as something we have to keep separate. And my biggest takeaway is life is complicated. You and I are complicated. That doesn't freak God out. You and I are complicated, but one of the most beautiful and profound and sincere things we can do is keep our faith simple. It's amazing to me how when I have tried to separate the two, maybe out of shame or guilt or fear, I've tried to keep this stuff over here because that's an embarrassment. It's never got easier. It's called the mushroom treatment. When you keep things in the dark and you keep things hidden, it will grow like a fungus or a mold. It will not be killed. But when you bring things into the light and say, Jesus, I need help with this. It's incredible how the light, which is Jesus himself, how the light helps to shrink those things, helps to untangle us, helps to simplify us. It doesn't mean like Tash was saying that God will pluck you out and and plant you on a desert island and things will be simple, but it gives you a perspective to go, yeah, we've all got complexities. That's okay. That shouldn't be the reason we don't, we stop coming to church or shouldn't be the reason that we're embarrassed in life group, or that shouldn't be the reason why we think we can't serve, but actually we've all got complexities. But my beauty is my faith is simple. So how does uh, Ephesians affect us? Chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, live as children of the light. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Now in our kind of like a bit of a disclaimer because I don't want you taking this out of context. But in our, what I'm going to say, complexities or mess or, or in our sheds, if we need to get professional help, I'm all for that. I'm not saying, you know, just quote a few scriptures and hope it goes away. I'm not saying that at all. There have been times in my life when I have been spiritually free, that I know I'm a child of the light, but habitually bound. And I cannot loose myself. And because my brain is so clever, it has learned to cope in ways that actually I didn't want it to learn to cope. 
because my brain is, uh, has learned coping mechanisms from a child that I've had to undo, but I can't undo those by myself, so I need professional help to help me undo those. Whatever that looks like to you, whether that's a counsellor or a therapist or, or a psychologist or however that um, impacts you, like don't be afraid of including those, but they walk alongside the Spirit of God. What I mean by this is we are, in our society are acting like mental well-being is a new thing. Or, or balance is a new thing, or our mental health is a new thing that we're just cottoning onto. God has been talking about this for thousands of years. That's why the Bible talks about renewing our mind, taking every thought captive. Think about things that are pure and good and wholesome. And God is all for it. He knows we're even more complicated than we're aware of. But Ephesians, to me, is this beautiful book set in a context of going, yes, you were once there. You now spiritually live here, co-heirs with Christ, seated with Jesus. But right in the middle is a bridge, and the bridge is Jesus. And I can't get to this promised land without going through Jesus. But sometimes I'm on the bridge of, I want to be more there, but my habits are more here. The best place we can be is with Jesus. The best person we can involve in those moments is Jesus. And so my takeaway is we will never live and experience the fullness of Christ when we don't allow Christ into the fullness of our lives. There isn't an area that is too far gone. There isn't a mindset that is too broken. There isn't a sin or a mistake or anything in your life or my life that is too far gone from the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. But the best thing we can do is bring it to him. Act and live like a child of the light. A child of the light doesn't tolerate some conversations or some behaviors. A child of the light doesn't approach that situation in that way. A child of the light naturally changes. But rather than looking at those verses that I first read as a to-do list, we will never have enough time to master that on ourselves. But at the top of the to-do list is keep my faith simple. And these three things I want to encourage you with have helped me when things get complicated to keep my faith simple. They're profound, guys. You might want to write them down. But number one is keep being honest with Jesus. You know, isn't it amazing how Jesus wants us to keep being honest with him, but he already knows? Like sometimes I'm like, why do I need to bother praying when he says he already knows what we need? Because he wants to talk with us. I know what my kids need, but it's the act of, hey, let's engage in a conversation. Keep being honest with Jesus. The big things in our lives probably aren't that big when we involve Jesus. Keep being honest with Jesus. Number two, keep trusting Jesus. Easier said than done, I get it. But keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. Like Tash was saying, when things are spinning out of control, inside all of us is a desire to fix things, sort things, calm things, make things be tidy and ordered and neat. Life isn't like that. My life isn't like that anyway. Keep trusting Jesus. And number three is keep speaking to Jesus. Keep speaking to Jesus. Talk to him when you're mad. Talk to him when you're happy. 
talk to him when you've got nothing else to say. Put worship music on. Pray in tongues if you speak in tongues. Do whatever you need to keep involving Jesus in your complexities. Because if it's anger or bitterness, if it's unwholesome talk, if it's rage, if it's slander, if it's malice, whatever it looks like for you, you're like, my gosh, they're quite extreme. But whatever it looks like for you, you cannot untangle them outside of Jesus helping you. That's how Ephesians has changed me. It makes me more committed than ever to keep bringing things to Jesus. We were that far away from God, but live as children of the light. There's a mountain of stuff for me to sort out in my own life, a mountain of stuff. But Jesus says in Matthew 17, verse 20, you will move mountains, not by your good works, not by your deeds, not by how great you have become at mastering that. You will move mountains by your faith. And if ever there's an encouragement when you are facing a mountain, I don't need to move that mountain. My faith will move that mountain. I don't need to try and work out the best way around that mountain. My faith will move mountains. We are complicated. Our relationships are complicated. Our situations can often be complicated, but our faith can be simple. You and I need Jesus. And he isn't a slot machine, but he is a companion. And the biggest thing that I've learned in in life is to involve Jesus. We have to just keep involving Jesus. You know, we've got team night on Tuesday, and I encourage you to be there, not just because we want you to be on team, but because when you start to contribute to the local church, it's involving Jesus in your life in a new way. But if I'm honest, the times that I have stopped contributing in the local church have been the times when I've been consumed by the areas that I don't think are good enough. And that's the other way around. God looks at those areas and goes, just get me involved. I can really help you out. I can simplify things. I can help you untangle things. I can connect you with people that will help you. So come on Tuesday night, whether you feel like you know the Bible or not, whether you've got questions or not, come. Just be around Jesus. Because 2 Timothy, one of my favorite verses, 2 Timothy says this, desire to live a simple life. Life is not simple, but desire to live a simple life, reverently responsive to the Spirit of God. Rather than try and unpick all the things that are wrong, let's focus on what is right and help what is right, the children of the light. Let's help. Let's, let's focus on that and allow Jesus to help us untangle our shed. Yes, there is room for improvement, but we don't need to make those improvements in isolation outside of Jesus. And so I'd love for you just to stand and I would love to pray for you and then we're going to worship and finish today. But I'd love to ask you a question really about maybe it's something Tash shared about God is in control. Maybe it's something that I've shared about keeping your faith simple and involving Jesus. Have you ever asked Jesus to be involved in your life? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. 
I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. And if you have, you will know in this moment, this is your opportunity to get your spirit working. For you to pray for your brothers and sisters in this room. That right now might be feeling their heart beating or awkward in this moment. Because really there's areas in their lives that they would love Jesus to get involved in. But maybe they have and maybe they haven't. But this is the moment to say, God, you're in control of it all but I need you to get involved in this. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life in this way, or maybe you have, but you've kept him to one side and said, you can do this bit, but this bit's too bad for you. Hey, it's a new day. And from the front to the back, if you would like Jesus in your life, maybe for the first time, or maybe in a new way, I would love you to raise your hands to heaven. Just raise one hand because as individual as your fingertips are, God sees your need and sees your fingers. Thank you, God. Hands going up all over the place, saying, God, I need you in my life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I want you involved in this. It looks like a mountain, but my faith in you will see this mountain moved. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, we do look to you. And we need you more in our lives. You know that more than we know that. We trust that you are in control, even when our eyes and our perspective fail us. The Holy Spirit, we ask you once more to come and get involved in our lives, to simplify where we have overcomplicated to help us see things that have lost focus in our lives. That you would be glorified and you would help us in Jesus' name. And for the people that have raised their hands, we're all going to say a prayer together to ask Jesus into our lives. I'm going to say a line and then as a church, we're all going to say it. We're going to say it loud. We're going to declare it. There's something powerful when you use your voice to confess to God that you need him. So let's all say this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. You sent him when I was a mess. You sent him when I didn't know that I needed him. And Jesus, I want you in my life. I need you to guide me. I need you to help me. I need you to lead me. So would you have your way? And would you help me? And day by day, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And I believe by the confession of your heart that God is in your life in a new way. And we would love to catch up with you and chat with you and help you, connect you. But in this moment, we're going to worship. Just focus on these words. And in your own way, just, just begin to thank God that actually, God, now you're involved in my life. I don't have to sort this mess out by myself. It is not going to overwhelm me. That you are in charge of it all. And you will have your way. And your way is always good and is always kind. Amen. 